Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Big Footy Podcast. We are short and understaffed this week. Uh, Messenger and Shandog both, I believe, watching the Bachelor final. Um, I'm sure we'll hear from them later, or you can just go to Twitter and see what everyone else is talking about. But uh, Seppo and I, we're carrying the fort. Good evening, Seppo. Uh, good evening, and I've uh, shifted my focus to footy because that's more important this time of the year than drama on TV. Well, I figure Shandog has an excuse, Carlton haven't made the finals, obviously, and have been pretty crap all year, so the Bachelor's probably his highlight. Messenger, not sure what his excuse is. I mean, maybe he's still trying to get over the uh, the, the final loss last week. So, I don't know. Probably coming, coming to terms with uh, Hodgie's uh, poor performance. Well, Hodgie, Hodgie was hardly an island there. Mm. What was your highlight for the week, uh, Seppo? Uh, probably the fact that it's uh, looming towards results going uh, the way of a Derby Grand Final. I think it's um, starting to set in now that both the Eagles' dominance and Frio's, well, they got the job done. But it's um, pretty exciting to think that this year could be a you know no Melbourne side in the Grand Final and huge mass migration from West Australia could occur in a couple of weeks' time. I think combine it with the injuries that uh, the Swans have got and the Hawks have got and the, the, the complete lack of urgency in how they played on uh, in week one at least, it just it, it points to some upsets this week at least. I think Adelaide might be a shot here, but uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. I'm predicting a Derby Grand Final. Uh, based on where we're at now. My highlight for the weekend, of course, was uh, Richmond losing. It's always a highlight, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I don't have much to smile about this year. My team has been abominable, and uh, at least uh, Essendon and Collingwood didn't make the finals either. But it's always nice to see Richmond get knocked out uh, early. And uh, so the you know that's all I really care about. The rest of the finals can do what they like. But, um, I know it's sinking in the boot in here for you and all Carlton fans, but it's quite interesting to see those three ex-Carlton, Josh Kennedy, Eddie Betts mm. and Jared White, all have probably best on ground performances for those three respectable games. And unfortunately, Frio can't claim any Carlton forward. We, uh, I don't think there's ever been a Carlton player that's ever been traded to Frio. So that's the reason why we don't have a, a Carlton player starring for us. But um, maybe it's our year to pick up someone like Yaron or someone well, he's you want in... to get rid of and turn into a forward and have you know best on grounds for us next year. But it is quite interesting how even Wait watching that North game, he just played probably one of the best games he's um, played for Mr. Potentials, finally hit it and uh, had a cracking game. It's also interesting that he played more games for North Melbourne this year than he's played in any year for Carlton in recent times. So maybe he's finally found a desire to actually play. Mm. That's... <laughs> That's good, good for him, I guess. But yes, my highlight: Richmond losing. It's uh, it's it's always a pleasure to watch our traditional rivals uh, fail as bad, almost as badly as we did. Well, I suppose it's the uh, probably the two hardest teams to tip all year in terms of what Richmond and North do. And I suppose you only have to look at that um, game the week before in round twenty-three when North rested all those players and everyone was saying, "Oh, Richmond's going to win," and they did, but. North really took it to them early on, but you reckon that rest probably helped North Melbourne actually come in there and get the result done, and it could have gone either way because it was close for most of it, but 
it, it's funny when you see a side like Richmond and North, you just don't know where the sides are at half the time because they perform so well and perform so badly on any given day and, and even during a match. You probably see, you know, it's Jekyll and Hyde, as you call it, with um, some bad and, and some good. Mm. Now, there's been some big news uh, during the week and some big discussions during the week, but uh, the umpires have apparently come out and said that uh, they cost Richmond a goal uh, on the weekend, uh, which is relatively interesting, I think, uh, given uh, the game was relatively, well, not that close in the end, but um, a goal at a critical time can swing it either way in a final. It is, and it's. Um, I suppose, luckily, the uh, result wasn't exactly you know, less than a goal, but um, no, really, when you think about the, the sort of plus and minuses, ebbs and flows you get with some umpiring calls, and, and fair enough that holding ball decision, the umpires came, mm. said they got it wrong, but no, there was no one there to have sight in the day, and you don't want to guess free kicks being called, and the uh, ball is to the back, and there's no second umpire in position. It's just hard to guess and call it right and obviously you could have a, an umpire behind a screen watching the game as well but it's just too hard to put a factor in those things and I see it every week where when you're behind the goals and watching a player just deliberately drop the ball and the umpire's onto the back you, you're there screening you know dropping the ball legal disposal and they don't have full view of it and you just roll with the punches and move on with those type of things and it is frustrating when you can see a free kick and the umpires don't pay it but happens every day and it's not just because of the uh final it goes on in all games it's just part of the game i think that's right now the other big news of the week really was uh about lance franklin not playing for the rest of the season we believe now um lots of rumors and innuendo floating about about this one and lots of uh defensive remarks coming from the swans which is pretty much what you expect from them and rightfully so to a degree uh also his girlfriend coming out and saying that none of the rumors are true and uh, so, what, what's going on there, Serpo? Oh, it's interesting. It's it's gone down to the level of um, you know, goods training and number twenty three to show his support for the side, and, and they've come out saying it's a you know, I suppose a treatable men- mental illness, and certain people speculating on, on what that could be. But it's just funny how when something's not known and people want to know that you know rumours run wild and and just the club. I suppose doesn't do too much of a job to actually shut down or come out with the truth. So the, the longer the truth doesn't come out for, and I know there's obviously respect of privacy and everything, but you just think if it's not clear and transparent, like a lot of other issues are sort of openly discussed, you think it's something a bit more sinister, but something that they um, obviously don't want to get out. And there's you know rumours going around like third strikes and relationship issues and all these other things, but you just wonder if it is a... And actually, like everyone is telling the truth, and it's a treatable mental illness. That there's nothing else wrong with him, and you know it was all related to that seizure he had on the day before the game. It is uh, quite interesting what might transpire, and I wonder how long it will take until the start of next season. Mm. The Bigfooty rumor board, of course, has him as um, getting a third strike. I'm not sure how much truth there is to that. I'm not even sure anyone knows if he's got a second strike. <laughs> so. It's uh, it's a little hard to know when uh, there's a lack of transparency in that process. For their part, uh, the Swans have come out and denied other rumours about him uh, having a sexual dalliance with a teammate's partner uh, and that players were pressuring Franklin uh, to not play for the club. Um, 
Andrew Pridham, the Swans chairman, said, uh, I've heard that on that specific one. I'm extremely close to the other player, and it's laughable, absolutely laughable. The player doesn't even have a partner, by the way. Um, so it would be a neat trick. Mm. Um, for, for the record, uh, Jacinta Campbell, Lance Franklin's partner, has also come out and said that her fiancé is great. There's no truth to the rumours. Uh, move on, please. So I guess we will. Mm. <laughs> lots, of, lots of little bits of news about the place. Uh, Gillan McLaughlin pushing his idea to uh, go for a, a season fixture of 17 rounds and, and then five rounds where uh, which are used to determine the rank of the finalists. I, I don't like it. It doesn't give anyone else anything to play for in the last five rounds. Mm. And it's funny, if you, if you think about... I don't know, stadium deals and travel factor. Like if you had the top five this year, you know, Freo and West Coast thrown into it, you know, what it means for home and away games and how much sides have to travel. It's mm. very hard to actually factor all those things into it and what it does. And I can't actually like the current system where they've got that rolling, what are they, is it over three years they're planning this top top bracket, middle bracket? Yeah, that's bracket, right. Bottom bracket kind of works out nicely and, and providing all these double up games of who gets what's not favoured too much or obviously altered to suit. There's a lot of TV ratings and the dollar drives a lot about the fixture, but in terms of tanking and round 23 situation, I'm not sure if that's going to get fixed by this, you know, end of, uh, you know, five games to go and having a 17 and five fixture. So I think now after, I suppose, the success, if, you know, Frio or North go all the way, it's going to set the trend and something that the um, AFL probably has to strongly consider for next year. If, you know, even what sides play what or who and uh, where in 23 or what they do with a buy round and, and what that may mean. Because I wonder if they um, do give a week's break between you know, round 23 and the, the finals next year, if clubs still persist with a, a week's break or if they want to tank the last round or something like that. I don't think there's any really easy answer to it to that whole tanking thing, clubs are going to... Like, there's always picks to play for unless you change the way the draft is uh, operating. Get a lottery system, maybe? And, yeah, you might have to institute some sort of lottery system at, at, just to keep the finals alive, uh, just to keep the final rounds alive. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that round 23 this year wasn't a good look. You can't have clubs, like several clubs resting players. There's no point in having the last round. It's just it gets to be a bit of a joke there. Or maybe there should be a buy between the last round and the final series starting. And the funny thing is about the whole last round, the the, the two interesting games or the close games was you know, Essendon and Collingwood. They weren't playing for finals. You know, one by the side that would have been benefited with a loss. I'm not sure if Essendon would have improved their position with a loss or if they'd have to lose by a lot to uh, finish lower for a draft pick, but they won. And then Brisbane did the same thing. They benefited from a loss and they actually beat the Bulldogs by eight points. So it's interesting just looking at, you know, who had what to play for. Um, you know, Freo had nothing to play for and Port could have lost and actually slipped down and probably about three places in the draft order, but they won. So mm. it's quite interesting when you think about tanking and everything that happens that it doesn't always work out that way in the uh, last round. It always throws up some interesting results. Now, over to Perth, I think it's only fitting that we uh, have a look at some of the news coming out of Perth, ahead <laughs> of the finals that are going to be in Perth. And uh, West Coast have uh, a couple of players returning uh, while potentially in line for finals places that 
won't be allowed to play this weekend for East Perth, even though uh, East Perth are still in the finals in uh, in the West Australian Football League. If this game, if these were a VFL side and an AFL side, uh, the players would be allowed to play until their team was knocked out of the finals. Um, I'm not. Uh, we're talking about Patrick McGinnity and Scott Selwood here, Seppo. Mm. Um, and the uh, it's been knocked back by the waffle. Apparently, West Perth were outraged, according to the West. It's uh, that they would even think about approaching. Yeah, it's it's interesting with, with the decision to um, well, even what free. I'm not sure exactly the path the um, the West Coast players have come in and out of that side, and and how many they're uh, going through with their waffle aligned side, but. Freer obviously took a lot of uh, um, Peel players out from their first final, um, which they had a double chance. Um, they finished in there. They've got a top five system in the waffle. Mm. Took um, a lot of players out of Peel to play Port Adelaide to benefit the AFL side. Um, at, and the week after, they played their uh, do or die final match and pumped them all back in there, but they uh, lost. So now that Peel are out of the uh, finals race, it doesn't mean much now for... Um, obviously Frio, but West Perth still alive. Obviously, that's the side they um, placed for the Eagles. So I'm not exactly sure what the uh, the setup is and, and who they plan to bring it out or how many changes they've they've made to the side. And obviously, they get the week off and I'm not sure how many people they can actually put back in that side to mm. get another run or get a chance to call up next week, depending if uh, West Perth progress into the final series for the Waffle. I, I wonder, just going back to Fremantle and their resting of players and... and Peel subsequently being knocked out of the finals. I wonder if that's going to... Um, I, don't, I don't think that's going to improve the relationship between the AFL clubs and the Waffle at all. Um, and it is something that, in West Australia at least, has to be considered when you're talking about the infrastructure set up over there with uh, the interaction between the state clubs and their alignments in the AFL clubs. I, I don't think they've done themselves any favours there by taking... The, well, I get why they're aiming at the AFL Grand Final and the AFL Premiership and everything like that, but the politics in WA are a little bit more difficult than just playing AFL games, Sep. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Like with Peel, obviously quite happy to uh, lose all their uh, Frio aligned players to obviously play in that week, but didn't do them any favours there. And obviously Peel going into their first final series because they've been renowned for finishing way out of contention and this is the first time in a long time they had a crack at finals and you just it's all hindsight now but you just wonder if Frio actually kept all their players in for that Port Adelaide game played a stronger side and left those guys that have been stringing games together for the, the waffle what it would have done for their finals chances and don't know what final be- financial benefits the um, actual Peel club had to actually progress through and um, you know it's all hindsight now but you think maybe in the future that both Frio and Eagles may eventually get their own standalone sides like many other AFL clubs have gone that way? Well, I just I don't think the, the uh, Waffle's going to be inclined to work with the, the AFL clubs on anything in terms of uh, their alignments in the near future based on, you know, they're going to cite, go back to this year and just say they're going to screw us over, which is what pretty much everyone predicted was going to happen if you were uh, a Waffle fan. You, you, this is why they didn't want the waffle side, uh, the AFL sides to have alignments and things like that, because this kind of crap was going to happen. It's, um, I, 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 I think, uh, I, I think Frio could have been just a little bit more uh, judicious in their approach in this one. But anyway, 
uh, staying in Perth for a moment. Uh, they're getting massive increases in merchandise over there. Uh, merchandise sales. Uh, $200,000 was sold in the seven days ending uh, after uh, Saturday's qualifying final by the Dockers just through their two Perth team stores, the website, and uh, on match day. Which Something is... we've been renowned for over the last couple of years. I remember during our grand final year that they uh, sold out of many items, and I think they hit some record for merchandise sold. I think we actually outranked Hawthorne for the very first time for total merchandise sales or for team apparel or a- AFL-officiated some products, I think. Well, the chief executive of Fremantle, Steve Rossich, he, uh, he predicted that the club would replicate merchandise sales uh, that were about $100,000 a day during the grand final week uh, in 2013. So yeah. it's, it's, it's good for Freo, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, West Coast, apparently, uh, their uh, retail outlets, at least, they're selling about the same. Uh, women's polo shirts, one of the biggest sellers for Fremantle this year, apparently, alongside the uh, Guernsey and the Clash Jumper. So, yeah. It's interesting. It's probably saying something about our uh, demographic of our fan base as well. More women going. Nat Fife, Matthew Pavlich and Michael Walters are the three most popular dockers in terms of apparel. Mm. Um, And also uh, there's some interest in the limited edition West Coast merchandise that's come up for for the club there. Um, They had to order a second run of the set of frame photos with Josh Kennedy's Coleman medal win. So... All good stuff, all good signs over there for uh, for Freeman, at least at the AFL level. I've uh, contributed to my own purchase of um, my first sort of big bit of Freo memorabilia. and Your life-size massive... doll of Nat Fife? Oh, not that far. I've uh, framed um, the old wingspan photo, like the old Michael Jordan one of Nat Fife, signed, personally signed by him, and it's... The fiance's let me put it up in the, uh, the lounge room, and she had to take some family photos down off the wall to put it up, so... It was a, a great birthday present this year, and I'm I'm glad I've got it up there. And the the person that um at the uh, club that said if he wins the uh, Brownlow this year, the thing will probably double in value. So it's uh, not something I'd ever want to sell, but it's quite interesting just to hear you know all these signed memorabilia and framed posters of things can just go up in value with a couple of things going our way this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can start selling like mop heads in the shape of Nat Five's <laughs> head. I reckon yeah. those would go off, you know, put them on a purple stick or something, I don't know. Did you uh, see the criticism he got from his um, sort of outfit and tie and hair setup he had at the AFL MVP, AFL Players Association Award? Well, I was just about to get to that, and uh, congratulations yeah. are in order to Nat Fife, who did win this year's AFL MVP. By a massive margin too, I think he, someone worked out on our board, if you total up second to fifth, all their votes, it still didn't even hit what Nat Fife got. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the place, I don't have the list to hand, but I think uh, Prittis was up there uh, in the placings and someone else. Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of a um, bit of a big deal for Nat Fife. Uh, uh, the AFL MVP is a bit of a pointer towards the Brownlow, so... Well, it can be a pointer towards the Brownlow. But, uh, yeah. Fun stuff. Uh... The guy that won the Recruit TV series last year and was subsequently recorded by Port Adelaide, he has been dropped by Port Adelaide, was delisted today, um, along with a number of other players. Port delisted eight people today. So the clear-out has begun. A lot 
two of uh, clubs have reported their delistings now. Um, still a lot more to come. I tell you what, looking at the number of people that are retiring and the number of people that are delisting, there's a lot of people putting a lot of faith in the draft this year. Mm, it seems like clubs are going hard on at least five or six and trying to clear it out. And they didn't say that this this draft is going to be a deep one. So be interesting to see what happens and how many delisted free agents sort of get moved around. And, and there's lots of people talk about players like Mason Shaw from Port Adelaide that free are after for a while. And I can't imagine who we're going to cut would be AFL quality that would be picked up at another side. But it's probably even a couple of trade rumours running around and even just who's going to get... Uh, Oh, what's his name? Harley Bennell from the Gold Coast. It's, you know, if anyone want, it's if anyone wants him. I'm not, I'm not sure yeah. anyone will take him with the trouble. I mean, you, there's a lot of talented players that get dropped. Uh, because be another Garlet. Yeah. I mean, he could be another Garlet, but he could be another Fev. <laughs> yeah. it's a, I mean... It's He's a, too talented, I reckon, not to be on an AFL list. Yeah. But it's just whoever's got the cojones to... Uh, take him on and deal with all the extras you get with it. Indeed. Uh, funny, uh, Port Adelaide uh, really putting a lot of faith in Matthew Lobb to be their ruckman, I think. Uh, and also, um, uh, what's his name from Essendon, the ruckman that went over there? Ryder. Ryder, thank you. Uh, having delisted three ruckmen, Jared Redden, Mitch Harvey and Mason Shaw. So Redden might get a bit of interest around the league. Carlton might even have a look at him. <laughs> uh, ruck, rucking, ruck work, not really our strong suit. So, interesting things there. Look, let's get into, um, unless you've got anything else to talk about, Seppo, well, we can get stuck straight into the games this weekend. My uh, view on the uh, grand final entertainment, I'm not sure if it was covered off last week. Well, we didn't actually cover it last week. I meant to, but I did forget about it. Do, uh, do you like the choice of Brian Adams and Ellie Golding and who was the other one? Chris Isaacs, was it? Yes, Chris Isaacs. Look, I think they've they've gone to, to reach for a number of cross-spectrum people. It's like they've gone to tick boxes rather than actually think what actually might suit you on an Australian massive event and we'll pick someone I think, decent. I think people saw that Kiss was touring about the same time and were hoping that Kiss would do it. Um, and and Brian Adams is a bit of a, a letdown for the hard rock generation. I think Adams will go okay. I don't think... Um, look, he can't be worse than Meatloaf, and who incidentally issued an apology during the week to the AFL and the AFL supporters, apparently. <laughs> uh, first, time. first time he's done that, uh, so it's only taken five years. But uh, look, I don't think Brian Adams is that bad. Is is that bad a choice? He's 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 a non-offensive rock person. It's it's he's a one-trick pony. You bought one song that everyone knows, and well, one song, two or three songs. They'll be like, "What?" One song that you might know. <laughs> For people like me who were around when he was releasing, uh, you know, we know a couple of songs. Don't you get me wrong? Yeah. Um, Ellie Golding, I could take or leave. I don't know who she is even. So I'm I'm quite out of the loop when it comes to modern music and Chris Isaacs was relevant what 10 years ago so mm. uh, they, they've gone for a bit of a miss, uh, bit of a mix and match uh, Kate Sobrano singing the national anthem this year um, we've and, had it once or twice before haven't we 
Yes, and Mike Brady coming back for the grand final. So uh, the old favourites, Messenger will love that. Um, <laughs> the big fan of Mike Brady that he is. But uh, Kate Sobrano is not a bad choice. I still think the national anthem should only be sung at major events by... Uh, I can't remember her name now. But she did the, she did the Sydney Olympics in 2000. It's possibly the best rendition of the national anthem I've ever heard. But uh, she's, she's done the AFL Grand Final a couple of times. I can't remember her name. Julie Anthony. Oh, yeah. Um, she's just got the perfect voice for it, and it's it's the same voice. That, you know, it really encourages you to sing along with the anthem if you know the words. Because there's some people that have done shocking anthems, and you sort of sit there, and you're supposed to be all patriotic and listen yeah. to your national anthem being sung, and you can only just giggle or laugh at the uh, efforts that some it's, people. It's not the it's not an anthem that's really tailored for uh, for singing like. For, for putting on to post-modern singing type, you know, trilling about and pretending mm. you're freaking Aretha Franklin or something. <laughs> it, it's not meant for that. It's it's meant, to, you know, sing it strong, sing it loud, and that's what the anthem is designed for. And uh, really, if you ever want to see the best rendition of the National Anthem, go to the YouTube and put in Julie Anthony and the 2000 Olympics opening, and that's how it should be sung. Mm. Because that, the, there is no better rendition of the grand of the national anthem I've ever heard. So, speaking of uh, grand final entertainment and associated events, Wookie, what's your thoughts on getting rid of the grand final sprint? That just seems to be nothing but advertising and Gillette or whoever it is just bantering around stuff. It seems pretty boring. Do you reckon they've got to mix it up and have different competitions, like maybe a torp cont or more of a marathon, like have players sprint around the track for? I think any, than 100 meters. I think anything that involves players themselves coming in, like a, actual AFL players, like the sprint or a long kicking competition or anything like that, I think it, 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 players are going to be reluctant to actually make it any kind of competition anyway. I would support it if it was like players from around the country coming in for a long kicking competition or a sprinting competition or something like that. Not as part of a, you know, just as a competition. Like, And it could be sponsored. I mean, there's no reason why it couldn't. Mm. Like, you, you could have trial, you, you, you could have knockouts and trials all across the country all year round and then bring yeah, it together on final. grand final day and have, like, a, you know, the Gillette long-kicking competition and, and, like, find the best long-kick outside the AFL without having to involve AFL players and get half-assed results. Because it is funny how they actually have the, the grand final sprint. I think Freo sent um, Zach Dawson in one year Yeah, to, just because he needed a ticket or something like that. They yeah, we put, with it. <laughs> a couple of years ago, we put Glenn Manton in and he was nowhere near the fastest player at the club. Yeah. So I, I know I, they don't take it seriously. I, I think if you're going to do that, don't involve the AFL players in it. Go out and get some, you know, Go out and find players outside the AFL. Have them, you know, and and get the best ones that there are, and send them in because they they'll send the best. It seems like a token effort to get, um, you know, representative from all your clubs to go. Oh, my club's out there today performing, but yeah, it's just someone that doesn't really give us stuff, except if you're Patrick Dangerfield. I think if we go national and and just have like some national competition for it and then bring them all together bring the finalists all together on the last day I think it have more meaning more impact than half assed grand finalists uh, half assed um AFL players coming in and not really having any relevance
mm. and you might get more of a uh, more excitement about it. I remember a couple of years ago we used to have a long kicking competition across the Yarra. Do, do you remember that? No, not in my time. They oh. sound something exciting and <laughs> they, 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 someone launch it into the stands maybe. They used to try and get the footy across the Yarra at uh, South Bank I reckon it was. Messenger would remember stuff like that. But we're old, so... <laughs> Back in his day. That's right. <laughs> uh, speaking of messenger, let's look at the finals now, Seppo. And uh, some surprising results for some, if you're a Hawthorne supporter, maybe. But uh, less surprising results if uh, you're a Fremantle or West Coast supporter. And Friday night, uh, West Coast played Hawthorne. And... Uh, well, with predictable results for some, West Coast easily accommodating a, a listless Hawthorne whose uh, veterans really didn't um, rise to the occasion, Seth. Yeah, really um, took on. The, the pressure that West Coast brought was kind of scary, you know, just watching that game and the way they came out and Hawthorne looked like they had two players or three players that showed up and half of them, you know, it's easy to write off players going, oh, they're done, they're dusted, they're cooked. But it was just interesting to watch how... Eagles shocked them into it. I don't know if it's a combination of the home ground advantage, the umpires helping them out, or just how West Coast got themselves up for this game. Or it, um, yeah, as players that didn't seem like themselves, and I suppose Messi would be able to count for it. I don't know how much of the game he watched, but guys that would usually have big games like Roughhead, Smith, Hill, um, probably Birchall and Shields just had shocking games and. Um, West Coast really performed quite well and with Prittis coming out last minute everyone thought that you know, it's going to swing back in the Hawks' favour but they didn't even uh, miss him out there it was uh, interesting watching that game how uh, well they did with him and I think Marston was the other one Marston, Chris Marston was uh, another one that didn't play that was uh, um, didn't affect the result and they really did it easily I think Mitchell and Hodge were probably the only two from Hawthorne that probably actually had a okay enough game to give them a pass mark and sort of got them back into it late in the uh, sort of third and fourth but Eagles just ran away with it it's too mm. easy for them Lots of turnovers reported in the game uh, uh, West Coast getting a lot of scoring from uh, uh, turnovers and things like that Hawthorne had 74 turnovers for the match, uh, second highest for the season um, the Eagles scored nearly 11 well scored 10 goals, 9 from them um, so it's it's interesting uh, just how how bad they were with with the ball. Dunstan injured as well during the game. Probably won't play again. I think um, not for the season anyway. So interesting stuff for Frio. Uh, Prittis has a, a slight injury. I think I think he'll play if they make the grand final. Yep. Um, and so yeah, and Jeremy McGovern with a bit of a shoulder injury. I'm not sure how severe that is. Uh, Kennedy kicked three goals for the uh, for the Eagles, and Ruffhead kicking two. Burgoyne kicking two for Hawthorne. Lacroix kicked two for West Coast. So did Cripps. So pretty much according to the script, if you're in the West, mm. Saturday afternoon, Seppo and your folks uh, pretty easily accommodated the Swans. Well, should have easily accommodated the Swans if your team could actually kick goals. Yeah, it was well a two-in-throwing game and we obviously got the lead we needed at the start but just seemed to hover around and I think Sydney probably troubled us with a couple of entries but 
couldn't hit the scoreboard and it was swirling conditions in there and we sort of didn't capitalise with a strong wind that was going to one end of the ground and I really thought some players, you know, they didn't even start five out in the ground. He started on the bench. So I don't think he was at 100%. So that obviously held him back and even put Ballantyne after that long layoff to come first game into the final. I thought he did fantastic to kick three goals along with Walters. Not missing, just three goals straight for each two of those. And um, it's funny how uh, before the game, everyone's talking about rain. It's going to even a chance of hail. Um, we made two late changes with McFarlane out and Tabner out, our tall, that would have helped Pav give their chop out. Brought in two sort of slower, bigger bodies with Mzungu and Clancy Pierce, and the rain never came and the wind was out there and would have been nice to give Pav a bit of a chop out with Tabner out there and... I think it was kind of a downside for the Swans losing Reed early. Probably hurt them because we didn't have um, McFarlane out there and played with one less taller defender. And they obviously want to have lost their sort of stretches they could have had on us. And unfortunately for Reed to go out and he looks like he's done for the rest of the year. Um, They lost him early and probably help us. And the fact that they missed uh, a couple of crucial shots late in the game. But there were some couple of shocking umpire decisions, and I think everyone said at each grand final, well, each final this week was probably littered with bad decisions, but none so worse than the um, non-mark paid to Sandlands in the goal square with you know a couple minutes to go. We were probably about sitting 19, 20 points out, and it went the other way for almost a 12 point turnaround and Sydney score. But then next mix the next three or four scoring shots, and we sort of could have won by a more comfortable margin than nine points in the end. Mm. Seppo, um, how how uh, concerning is it that you guys can't seem to score large? Uh, well, you guys can't reach that hundred uh, point target. I think it's been a combination this year. I know we have hit it early on, and there's been probably three or four games where we just fell shy of that hundred point mark, and everyone seems to say that's the um sort of magic number that you need to be at. And you see all those the squiggle and the the champion data have their own version now that say that Frio's attack's not up to standard. But we seem to have it a, a, a way to get through. And obviously it might be um, important come grand final day of uh, an ability to score. And on individuals, you know, Pav's a great goal kicker. Ballantyne, when he's on, is good. And Walters too. And probably even Tabiner's just... Not exactly there yet, but we've never really had everyone firing at the same time like other clubs have had that have got them well over 100 points. So it's all the pieces are there, but I don't think they've actually gelled or they haven't actually found the right combination and um, got it there yet. And it's an issue that everyone talks about, and I suppose Freo fans know it is an issue, and all the outsiders looking in go, Freo played too defensive. We don't actually anymore. We've actually um, played more of a, an attacking style this year. But it hasn't exactly clicked or worked out for us, or we've probably missed it and squandered a couple of opportunities. So the the, the midfield's there, and Sanderlands has even chopped in with a couple of goals every week more recently. So we are trying different things, but it just hasn't seemed to click all at once. But mm. still managed to get some results. But yeah, it, it is an issue. But I think it can be. It may just all just click into one place. But if we uh, don't manage to progress, you know, after. Getting the week off on the prelim, it will probably be down to you know, bad kicking or bad forward setups. Mm. What about Luke McFarlane? Uh, he's got a calf injury. Is he coming? Is he going to make it back in time? Uh, well, they say he might with that extra week off, and they obviously pulled him out. But it means he hasn't played a game in over five or six weeks. 
I think he's probably had one snuck in there in round 22, I think, and obviously a part of the mass restings and pulled out late. So with that week off and all those other players um, missing the week before, it's going to be interesting of how many games, you know, Freo, some Freo players would have played one game in about four weeks when, when we go into the prelims. So mm. I don't know how important the rest is or how in need it is for a run, but there are a couple of players that, you know, Griffin, who was injured, is potentially coming back to replace a Clark, our second ruckman, and then you've got McFarlane. And, you know, Ballantyne came in after his last game was in round 16, I believe. So he had an impact. So it all depends on the type of injury and the player and, and the type of role they have. But um, McFarlane, it's going to be hard, and I think we can do it without him. But um, it'd be nice if we actually had him in, out, out there and maybe leading into the uh, last game of the year. Mm. Now, Saturday night, uh, the Bulldogs played Adelaide, and this was uh, the, probably the result that surprised me. Uh, I didn't really give Adelaide... I mean, I think I said that Adelaide would have a close game, but I didn't expect them to win. And they did, of course, which is causing no end of glee to the people I do radio with on Saturday morning, because I've been rubbishing Adelaide all year. So um, they're, I think they're putting together a list of recordings of me as we speak, saying that Adelaide are crap. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to reap the seeds. I sow something chronic on Monday, on Saturday. So if you want to laugh, tune in to Tribe FM in Adelaide. And anyway, um, yeah, this game was a bit of a surprise for me, of course, uh, and it was a close one. Seven points the difference in the end, but Adelaide, oh, but- Adelaide hitting their strides. Oh, I did predict Adelaide would win this, but I really thought they'd do it a lot more comfortably than they did. And I think it's credit to the Bulldogs of, you know, they need to have their moments early on in the game and even towards the end when they hit the lead. But I think Adelaide's midfield probably just is a bit more stronger than the Bulldogs when you sort of line up Sloan, Thompson, Dangerfield against Bulldogs midfield of Wallace, McRae, and I probably can't even name the rest. That's how um, <laughs> interesting he is. And they, you know, brought Minson back in to have a go at rucking against Jacobs after probably missing quite a bit of this year and the, the first. So, and when you look at their back line and forward line, Bulldogs aren't really known for, you know, any big key position players and it probably showed in the day and the youngsters did quite well and it's good exposure, but I think Adelaide probably just has, and I think Bulldogs over this whole year has probably overachieved mm. and Adelaide, you could potentially say they underachieved, but they've sort of got in there after trying circumstances they've had this year and the situation they've had to deal with and actually done pretty well to, you know, get this far and, and get that win mm. to you know, bounce them in. And if they can continue that, and I don't know if it's the emotion that's going to drive them on into next week or, you know, it's, um yeah, they certainly do have enough stars scattered around the field and they don't necessarily have the same names in defence now, but mm. certainly do have a list capable of doing some damage and, coming up against a battered Hawks this week is a chance. Absolutely. Uh, the last game of the, uh, the first week of the finals, Richmond and North Melbourne. Massive crowd turnout for this one, by the way. Uh, 94, I think, 94,000. Uh, sorry, 90,186 turned out for this. A massive crowd, like I said. Uh, but unfortunately, the Tigers out in uh, round one again, third year in a row. They've done the uh, treble, the three-peat. Mm. Uh, interesting stats have been... Po- interesting memes have been posted all around the internet on this. Of course, uh, 
Uh, my favourite being the one that Fitzroy have won more finals than uh, Richmond since uh, 1981. So <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Fitzroy, of course, not having been in the competition for the last 20 years. But um, I didn't actually get to see any of this game. I watched a bit of it. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I think once I saw Richmond, after getting a quite a decent lead, just slowly, slowly fade away, and, and the scoreline of Little Worm looks like a little step and demise away from their uh, victory. Is um, it was quite interesting just to tune in and just watch it all slip away as North played a game that I suppose North played this year, where they probably had one player or two players to step up, and I think Jared Waite was almost best on ground for them. And I mentioned earlier, you know, ex-Carlton. Once again, stepping up. But it was just amazing how they delivered the ball in. And Richmond, for probably being renowned as a very good defensive side, had you know 105 points kicked against them and a bit of a, a shootout. But it's amazing what Kangaroos have been able to do with guys like Waite and Petrie and Brown and, and Goldstein. Some of their bigger units are actually uh, done all right for them this year. I think there's a, there was an article in the week that was pointing out that the, the teams that all won on the weekend, they all have one thing in common, and that is uh, absolutely stellar Ruckman. Mm. Uh, West Coast, obviously, having uh, Nick Natanui, who's in a very good uh, vein of form. Fremantle, of course, having uh, Sanderlands. Adelaide having uh, Sam Jacobs. And North Melbourne having Todd Goldstein. Um, I did say it was probably going to be one of the problems the Bulldogs were going to have in the final series is a lack of a really big ruckman, a really, a really, uh, a really good ruckman that could carry things. And I, I'm not not even sure who does the rucking for Hawthorne these days. So it's interesting because you, you look back over the uh, Bulldogs game and they actually won the clearances and the centre clearances by a fair margin, but Adelaide could just get the job done. And I think over in the first game, the Hawks actually won the clearances and centre clearances, even though Nat Nui looked like he dominated. And <laughs> this gets back over to my um, despise of the all-Australian Ruckman choice. You can understand why they picked Goldstein there, but the fact that Sandilands didn't even get a nod in the 40-man squads an absolute disgrace. I think if you look at Nat Nui's rucking on the weekend and the fact that Eagles didn't actually win the centre clearances, it sort of says something that, yeah, he looks great, wins the tap, but... You actually watch what happens around him, and it's not all necessarily all you know hitouts to advantage or what he does after he does that amazing athletic leap. But certainly, players like Goldstein, Jacobs, Sandlands um, are absolutely solid ruckmen, and they are crucial in finals when there's a contested game. If it's a long kick down the ground or setting up your elite mids in the midfield, it's just so important. And I think ruckmen probably get a bit underrated especially this time of year. I think people get excited by the highlight reel of Nat Newey a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't get me wrong. I, I, he's, a, he's, a, he's a decent player now, but I, I think um, he's a little bit overrated in the ruck department. But uh, I'm not on the All-Australian Committee, so, you know, they don't listen to me. <laughs> All righty, well, with that out of the way, we move into week two of the finals and the semi-finals this week. Friday night, uh, Hawthorne play Adelaide in what I think is very much a danger game for Hawthorne based on how they played last weekend and their injuries and how the Crows are playing at the moment. The Crows could win this one, Seppo. Yeah, certainly, and I think Hawks have uh, lost Gunston. I know he probably wasn't playing that well, but 
Adelaide, you know, it's always the case that, you know, they think the side that wins from the the previous week and every year it happens where you think, oh, wow, you know, the side got through Adelaide, made it through and, and Hawks have lost, so they're, you know, looking bad. It's funny how you think that every side that's come through, like Adelaide and North, are going to get a, a fair crack at the sides that have lost, like Hawthorne and Sydney, but you just wonder, will the Hawks bounce back and was that a one-off performance against the Eagles? Are they going to feel more comfortable back at home now or be fired up off the previous results? And it, it is a danger game and you think it'd be a nice contest and obviously... Being selfish from a Freo point of view, we play the winner out of uh, these two, and I'm actually heading down there on Friday night to uh, tomorrow night to watch this game, and I'm going to be uh, enjoying these two um, sides just beat the living suitcases out of each other, and whoever's obviously the winner after playing you know previous week has to travel all the way back over to Subi, so obviously the Hawks is going to be after a big travel for them, and Adelaide um, also have to week on week is um coming up against two good opponents is going to be a quite tough draw for them. I don't. I, while I think Adelaide could win this game, I don't think either of the winners of this weekend's game are going to get over Fremantle next week. Mm. I just I don't see Fremantle are going to be too rested. Uh, the game being in front of a Fremantle crowd, I just I, I think it's it's been a good year for Adelaide, better than many predicted, uh, myself included. Uh, but I think it might. Um, I think they'll win this week, and I think uh, we might see their uh, season come to an end against Frio in Perth next week, which is no shame whatsoever this year. Mm. But um, you know, Messenger might disagree. <laughs> and, uh, he's not here to defend. He's not his here. He's watching. Side, he's so watching the Bachelor. Like, so uh, you're jumping on the, uh, the the crows for this one. Yeah, I, I just I, I just think they're playing a good brand of footy at the moment. Um, I'm not sure how well it'll hold up against Frio though, and uh, yeah. So Probably Adelaide, Adelaide from Adelaide this year, I think I I did laugh at the decision for Tex Walker to be made captain, but I think he got rid of that mullet and probably quietened down. As hasn't been so, I don't know, public or just making a bit of a knob of himself. He's actually done a pretty decent job at captaincy this year and that kick of his in that last, I don't know if you've seen the highlights, but the kick of his to not have a, a ping at goal and just set it up to sort of snapped it back was amazing. It's something I've probably never seen from him and he's, I suppose, no, he's not young anymore, but he's certainly matured and looking like a different player now these days, mm. especially after doing his knee a couple of years ago. He's really come on leaps and bounds. Mm. Saturday night, uh, a danger game for Sydney, I think North Melbourne. Uh, travelling up to what is a, you know, going to be a rather unattended game at uh, ANZ Stadium. Last reports have ticket sales at about 27,000 as of uh, yesterday. So hopefully they pick up a little bit more. It'll still beat the 19,000 that went to a final there a couple of years ago. But, um, yeah, people still don't like uh, ANZ Stadium. <laughs> it's just not... It's a shock, and this could be probably one of the last games played there because I don't think the, no, the contract's in place next year, is it? The contract finishes end of this year. Um, mm. The AFL probably won't renew it for finals. There's no no people. The people have really spoken. They don't like it. They don't go to these games. They went to the first couple. Um, there's a couple of 60,000, 70,000 uh, games in there, but the last couple have all been low 20s. Or less. Well, I went up there for the semi-final against uh, what Sydney last year when Frio went up there, and yeah, that, well, the first final actually, and yeah, it was horrible. It's 
you know, don't like Sydney itself, but to have to go all the way out there and it's so isolated and mm. it's not a good stadium. You just have to look at the, the whole Bolt saga they had yeah. <laughs> from this year. It's, um, yeah, not a good look and it's probably an eyesore. I don't know what they'll do with that whole stadium, but certainly it's going to be an ugly look if you get a, a low crowd there for probably a game that people are going to be looking at because there's only two games on the weekend. It's prime time Saturday, but... Mm. So, so North Mel uh, for the Swans, Sam Reed will be missing with a hamstring injury. Uh, Nick Smith coming in for him. Um, honestly, I can see North winning this. Sefo, mm. well, they must be confident. No changes, and the way they finished off Richmond, you'd think with a, a similar side in and performing like they did, they can probably stretch Sydney. Um, I don't know how underdone play like Smith coming in will be and, and how strong they uh, rate their chances. But certainly they are capable North and you, you'll either get the really good North or the absolutely terrible North that uh, um, everyone knows. And I think you, you can't sort of write off Sydney because them on their home deck know it well. Um, it will be interesting to see if you know, Kangaroos came out with that same type of a, a game plan and, pressure and there's guys like Boomer Harvey that looks, you know, the old Benjamin Button gets better with every game. I'm, I'm amazed at how he's still going around and actually getting better as <laughs> years go on. Mm. So, uh, two very interesting games for the weekend and two possible upsets on the cards. I, uh, they, they could go either way. Are you tipping kangaroos for this one? Oh, well, it's in Sydney and you've got to have some faith in the Swans to win this, I think. I'm going to go the Swans on this. I'm going the Swans on just an experience. They've been too good for too long, and I think um, you just get a bit deceived by a loss from the previous week, and I know it would have taken something out of them playing against us, and they've still got some fantastic players out there, and guys like Tippett and Kennedy and um, some other players are just you know, really good for them, and mm. I think they'll just might be too much for Kangaroos after probably putting too much into last week to get over the line against Richmond. It's, it's not impossible for North to win. I think North are every chance to win this, but I th- at the end of the day, I think the experience is going to count here. The fact it's in Sydney, uh, in a ground that the Swans do, despite not liking it, they do win at. So mm. it is, uh, yeah, all things considered, I think it'll favour the Swans, which means the week after... Uh, We'll have, uh, where are we? Fremantle playing Adelaide on the, probably on the, well, both games will be on the Saturday, I'd imagine. No, would get uh, the Friday no, night advantage. Yeah, Friday night. Finishing top. They wouldn't. And put, Eagles would get the uh, Saturday, I believe it's an afternoon game that they've said that would potentially happen. I don't know if it'd be a, a day game. I or... think it might depend who they play because the Swans have to go home uh, for the Swans to get back before curfew. Mm. Um, there might be an issue and Adelaide have to be back before curfew as well so that might be interesting uh, but Frio will play Adelaide and uh, the Swans will play West Coast both games of course being in Perth um, they won't do a double header on the same day the AFL doesn't believe in that so Friday and Saturday it'll be and then um, I, I, I believe we're faced with a Western well with a Derby played in Melbourne on grand final day Derby if you're from Western Australia, but obviously for everyone here, majority listeners in the East Coast call it the Derby. Derby, sorry. <laughs> well, most people in Victoria probably refer to it as that match that the Bogans play, but um, 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that, and that'll be an interesting game in itself. Neutral ground for both Fremantle and West Coast that they are, both teams hardly ever play on. Well, it is funny that if they do both make it to the grand final, I think the cumulative games for both those sides at the MCG this year is, I think you can count it on one hand. I think there's five games. Yeah. Frio played two there, and I think West Coast might have had three. So, hmm. So, interesting stuff. Thanks uh, thanks for your thoughts there, Seppo. Just before we go, what are you looking forward to the most this weekend? I am looking forward to an improvement of umpiring. I think the uh, first week of finals was a shocker, and I don't know who's managed to progress through. Obviously, they have um, got to pick the top six umpires to do the two games um, and obviously the grand final the prelim umpires and the grand final umpires have come out from this and I just hope they weed out the uh, the guys making shocking decisions because they all have their um, KPIs and reviews they've got to hit so I'm looking forward to a great umpiring performances and the best ones get through that make the right calls and we have a game that no one complains about the umpiring decisions and just leads into uh, a, a huge prelim week just following that up, just quickly, David Roden, the former poor player, he uh, has announced that he's going to go into umpiring following uh, former AFL player just, uh, Jordan Bannister, who also went into uh, AFL umpiring. Just, I'm wondering if that makes, like, if if using retired players or, or players that are no longer uh, capable of getting involved in the rough and tumble of, uh, of the, you know, every AFL match, I wonder if... Uh, we might see an improvement in umpiring if former players are actually doing that umpiring. I think from the Freer Pans that have uh, got a thing against, I think Lee Fisher's the other ex-AFL um, umpire out there that <laughs> certainly doesn't work when there's a bit of a team bias um, Well, maybe they an should... angst against one side. But someone like Roden, you can't imagine that he'd uh, have any type of a, a bias and seems like a good enough bloke that and if he's fit enough and... He's agile enough to uh, move around the ground. Maybe he'd make a great umpire. And it also it also helped to extend a player's career options after the five years or so that they get, on average, in the in the actual league itself. If they can transition to an umpire's job, mm. there will be less players with car yards around the country. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to Adelaide getting over Hawthorne on the weekend. I think that's a very real possibility, and the wailing and gnashing of teeth that will come from the Messenger residence will be something uh, to behold. As much as I don't really want to have to put up with Adelaide people telling me how good they are and the slings and arrows that will inevitably come my way on Saturday, it's you'll, uh, you'll happily deal with it over uh, another gloating week from Messenger. Look, I, I believe this year is Frio's year, to be honest. I, I, think, I think they can do it. I've changed my avatar on Big Footy to the annoyance of many, um, and I deliberately chose the most obnoxious Frio logo that they've got. So it's... Uh, it's um, I, I think it's Frio's year. I'm always in, I'm always in favour of a team that's never won a flag winning a flag. Um, the Dogs got knocked out. They haven't won a flag for, like, 50 years. And I hoped it was their time. That would have been a romantic thing. So after that, it's Frio. Mm. And then uh, after that, I don't care. After that, <laughs> it's, it's all it's all a mishmash for me. Look, but it's, it, would, it would be great to have Adelaide win and Hawks after 
going back to back to be out in straight sets would better be better than going for a three-peat. So I'm with mm-hmm. you on that. Just a last note before we go, St Kilda are looking at playing games in Christchurch from next year. Uh, that deal currently uh, trying to be... Well, St Kilda are currently trying to negotiate that deal. I think their deal in uh, Wellington is now over. So uh, no more games in New Zealand on Anzac Day, apparently. Mm. Uh, which was starting to get a little bit stale anyway. So St Kilda still trying to explore the New Zealand option, but they might be better off... Uh, coming back to Australia and maybe playing a game at Ballarat with the Bulldogs. Who knows? Anyway, that's it from us tonight. A uh, big shout-out to the people that didn't turn out. Of course, Messenger, Shandog, hope you enjoyed the Bachelor finale. And uh, Seppo, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. No worries. Always a pleasure to be on. I'm looking forward to the uh, the big battles on the weekend. We're getting a Frio podcast tonight. No, nah, we're giving the week off. We've got to rest up and be all right for the prelim week. So we're giving it a rest and looking forward to a, a big one next week. Well, tune in next week, folks. You heard it here, the Frio podcast with Seppo and his friends. It's just Seppo putting on different voices, of course. Um, and, yeah, like always, you can tune into any Big Footy podcast through uh, iTunes or Big Footy. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you all on the forums.